iPhone or an Android. And if you haven't downloaded the Grace Life app, uh, make, make sure you do that because you'll get notifications when the devotions come out every Monday through Friday. You can also give there. You can check in. Uh, when you come to church, you'll get a notification as you show up here, and you can check in early. And if you don't, or you don't want to do that, giving-wise, there's always that little black kiosk in the back. Uh, some um, We for, forget sometimes to remind you that it's back there, and some like to give by cash or check. And uh, there, that opportunity, you can give any time during the service, envelopes in front of you if you want to make record of your giving. Some just give anonymously, and we appreciate that. We're thankful. I shared with the deacons last Sunday morning that um, about uh, 48% of our giving is coming through that app um, that we use. And there are a few opportunities um, that are available to us for next year with that app that we might be able to go live on that app and send it to multiple platforms at one time, YouTube and Facebook, they would all get it. So pray with us that uh, that works out and that we can uh, do that. Um, in January of 2022, this year, which is rapidly, I don't know, have has it gone by fast for any of you all? Because it's just like I blinked my eye, and we are in the last two weeks of 2022. It's been incredibly fast for me, which just means one thing. I'm getting older. And uh, I didn't say old. I'm just getting older. <laughs> It gets worse. <laughs> Thank you for that encouragement. <laughs> but um, early in the year, I just posted on social media and I asked people to, what, what, why aren't people coming back to church after the pandemic? What are some of the reasons? No judgment, nothing but love, not going to spew out anything, just wanted to hear and get the pulse of why people weren't coming back to church. Because it's global. It's not just here at Grace Life or America or West Virginia, it's everywhere. I talk to pastors across the country, across the world, and it's the same thing. When I was in Oklahoma a few weeks ago, they were experiencing the same thing. And there were over 425 responses in that thread uh, when we posted that. A lot of um, reasons, excuses, whatever you want to call them, but it did help us to understand where people were coming from. And a couple pastors called us in one of those Pastors was Pastor Darren Powell from Maranatha, and he gave me a call. And since January, uh, we've been able to meet uh, at least twice a week, sometimes twice a week, twice a month, sometimes three times a month, just sharing and encouraging. Uh, there was some mended fences, and there were some walls uh, that needed to come down, and that happened. That should be a good place to thank God that Pastor's Kingdom, where we are able to mend fences and tear down walls, and uh, so we weren't able to meet for coffee this past week, and he invited me to come to church, and I, since we're not having Wednesday nights, I ventured over Wednesday night, didn't get there till after the worship was over, and went up front, sat down, and after the message, Pastor Darren publicly asked me to come and speak at Maranatha on January uh, the 4th. Now, I don't know if that means anything to you, but it is, that's my home church, I was a founding member of that church at seven years old when my mom and dad started in the living room of a house. I was on staff there for 17 years, and the Lord led in different directions, and God birthed Grace Life Church out of Lisa's encouragement and uh, a new found 
uh, freedom uh, in the grace of the Lord, and it's been a wonderful journey, but it's been 12 years since I stepped into the pulpit over there at Maranatha and was able to share, and so that's encouraging to me, and I would just love to have a great big crowd from Grace Life to come over there and fellowship with the the believers at Maranatha and encourage me as I preach. Uh, So would you mark your calendars for that, and uh, let's... uh, Worship together, Pastor Frank and Angie, and team will join with Pastor Joey and Bethany McCutcheon and do worship, and then we'll just have a great time together. Sound like a plan? Be a great way to start the new year, won't it? And, I'm, and we, yeah, we're, we're going back to our Wednesday nights. We have chili and Christmas caroling this week, and then uh, after the 4th of January, we will go back to our Wednesday night dinners at 6 o'clock and uh, fellowship and conversation, okay? Thank you for reminding me of that. All right, get your Bibles out if you would. Uh, Last week, we were in John, the first chapter, and in John, the first chapter, I had it marked, but the the leaves turned over. Uh, We looked at verse 14, the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. Verse 16, and out of His fullness, we all, how many of us? We all have received grace upon grace. The Amplified says benefit upon benefit. Uh, It it says uh, gift heaped upon gift, spiritual blessing after spiritual blessing. I'm reading from the Lavender's translation this morning. It says grace upon top of grace. I like that because it's grace and then you get more grace and that foundation just keeps getting built and it's out of his fullness We've all received grace and truth is what we talked about last week, but this week we're going to talk about hope. Hope. Any of, any of you ever experienced the Christmas letdown? You got one hand. Okay, there's a few there. What does that mean? What happens is when the Christmas that you had expected and hoped for doesn't match up with the Christmas that you got. I guess nobody was a kid that ever asked for a huffy bike uh, when they were 10 years old and didn't get that huffy bike when they were 10 years old. (laughs) It's hard. It's disappointing when you have certain expectations of getting something or uh, having Christmas go a certain way with your family, but then life happens and it doesn't happen the way that you expected, wanted, desired, or hoped for. I mean, that translates into life as well. There are a lot of things in life, not just the Christmas letdown, but life will let you down. Is there an alarm clock going off? Do I hear that in the distance? That Waking us all up this morning to make sure that we're here and that we're... Disappointment is defined as sadness or displeasure caused by the non-fulfillment of one's hopes or expectations. That's what Webster said. So in other words, you have a certain expectation, whether it's in a relationship or a job or at an event, and then that does not get fulfilled in the manner that you thought it was going to get fulfilled, and so you are disappointed. Sadness uh, comes on. Let's take just a moment to travel back into history. Um, Do you realize that Jesus was not born on December the 25th in the year zero? More than likely, he was born in August. Uh, It's a time of the year when the um, shepherds would have been out in the fields. 
keeping watch over their flock. So that it gives us a time frame. But with from the calendars, it's probably somewhere between 5 and 6 B.C. Now the book of Isaiah was written in the 8th century. Is it okay to share just a little bit of history with you? Because I think it's important for us to see on a timeline of how things transpired. So in 5 to 6 B.C., when Jesus is born, Rome is dominating over Israel. They have captured the Jewish nations, and they were ruling over with a strong arm, literally holding Israel captive. But that's not anything new to the Jews because if you travel back into the Old Testament, you will see that they were in captivity to Egypt for over 400 years, then to the Assyrians, and then the Babylonians had held them in captivity. And so during the period of the 8th century, it's right prior to the Babylonian captivity, but Isaiah is prophetically seeing what's going to happen. And so there is a lot of disappointment because the cycle of Israel has been, the history has been that they have experienced disappointment after disappointment, uh, but along with God's continual favor to deliver them from their self-made disappointment because the things that they expected from God when they didn't do those things because they were under a covenant. If you did good, you got good, but if you did bad, you got bad. And God desired a relationship with them, but they forfeited that relationship to have a mediator, Moses, to go and talk to God for them. That's the story and the pattern of the Old Testament. But Isaiah in the ninth chapter prophesies hope into this cycle of disappointment for the nation of Israel. They do have to go through that Babylonian captivity. They come out of it. This is 700 years plus before Christ would actually be born. The devastating thing for the nation of Israel, in Jesus' own words in the scripture, is that you missed what you were expecting. I came as flesh and dwelt among you, but see, they had an unrealistic hope or an unrealistic expectation that a warrior king would show up and that he would overthrow the Roman Empire so that they could experience peace. But do you, can you see their disappointment and their Christmas letdown when this babe that's born in a manger in Bethlehem, which is fulfilling prophecy, is the hope of the world being born but as he lives his life for 33 years on the planet, they missed exactly what they had been hoping for. Hmm. Today, we get to experience the hope that Isaiah prophesied about, and not only as a babe born in a manger, but an indwelling spirit, so that, if you'll join me, we can go to First Peter, the first chapter, we have a living hope. 1 Peter, the first chapter, verse 3. I love the Passion Translation. When I read the Passion Translation, it just it, it, it's living, it's powerful. I can relate to it. And this is the way it reads in 1 Peter. Celebrate with praises the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has shown us His extravagant mercy. Isn't that a good... Uh, adjective of his mercy, it's extravagant. Uh, another one I like to use is it's scandalous. Mm. 
for his fountain of mercy has given us a new life. Somebody say amen. Thank God for new life. We are reborn to experience, to experience a living and energetic hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. What kind of hope? A living hope. And these religious and zealous Jews were disappointed when Jesus showed up because it wasn't what they expected, but if they could have captured that, they would have experienced what we experience. And what is that? A living hope. Um, <laughs> help me, Jesus. I went to a funeral yesterday, and in that funeral, as most do, and this is not knocking it, we only can come from the revelation that we have, and it was a, the pastor did a wonderful job, and it was uh, a sweet time, but hope has been put out in the future somewhere. In most churches this morning, the hope that is being presented is a hope that is only obtainable after you die. It's a hope of glory somewhere in the future. We even sing songs about it. What a day that will be. Not a day that it can be right now. And, and listen, I sang, I sat beside my mother-in-law and she sang every word of all the hymns that they sang at that funeral yesterday. Now she's struggling with uh, recalling certain things at this stage in her life, but she knew every word to those hymns that were sung. I did too. Because I grew up on them. I cut my teeth on them. And they were sweet and they were great and there are phrases in them that are good, but there's a lot of theology in it that are bad. Why? Because it holds us back from experiencing a living hope in the here and now. Disappointment is the feeling of sadness. It's the emotional response caused by an unmet expectation. The Greek words in the New Testament used for disappointment express that sorrow uh, acquainted with shame and even broken heartedness. It's a defeat of the hope or expectation that you had. So let me give you some encouragement. Hope, the Greek word, elpis, means expectation or confidence, properly expect proper expectations of what is certain and sure. There are certain expectations, Todd, that we can have, but when we place them in the earthly realm, we will be disappointed. Don't put your trust in a denomination. Don't put your trust in me. Don't put your hope in Lisa. Don't put your hope in what others would promise you because it is not sure and it is not certain. We will fail you. But if you will place your hope and your trust, that living hope that we have in Christ, then it is a sure thing. Hmm. Help me, Jesus. That's good. Let's go to the Scriptures and find an example of this. Go to Romans, the 15th chapter. We're going to spend a lot of time in Romans today. Paul was really trying to show hope to these Jews living in Rome. Romans, the 15th chapter, verse 13. Romans 15, 13. Now, may God, the fountain of hope, um, King James says the God of hope, Feel you, now let's stop right there. Our 
series this month that's on the screen of his fullness. How many have received? All. It's what first, that's what John 1.16 says, of his fullness. See, if you don't have it, you can't give it. So he's full of it, like we said last week, what's he full of? Grace and truth. So what has he given to us? Of his fullness, we've all received grace upon grace, and included in that is hope. And Romans 15.13 says that he will fill you to overflowing. Sounds like he's got more than enough, doesn't it? With what? Uncontainable joy, may that be so, Lord, and perfect peace as we hope in him. May the power of the Holy Spirit continually surround your life with His superabundance until you radiate that hope. In other words, of His fullness, we've received hope and it's overflowing in such a way that it's just not satisfying your expectation. It begins to bubble up and radiate and permeate out of you to touch others so that they will have a living hope. And you ever come in contact with anybody that doesn't have any hope? Carolyn was telling us in uh, prayer this morning, she said, I see people walking the streets with, you can just see it on them, full of hopelessness. Empty of any hope and just hopeless in, in all areas of life. We have an assignment. Once we leave these, these facilities where we've been pumped up, energized, given a dose of the Holy Ghost for the week to go out and then radiate that hope, so the world who is full of hopelessness will have some hope. Mm. So this is a picture now of the Father, the originator. That's what the word Father means. He's the the originator of hope. And he has this fountain flowing out of him that is full of hope, and it flows right into our souls, our hearts, and then that fullness is what... Paul says in Romans 15, it overflows. In other words, it splashes out on people. I mean, Uncle Buddy Robinson said, if you slap me on one cheek, I'll give you the other, and you're going to have honey all over your hand. It ought to flow out of us, this hope for the world. When we wallow in our disappointment, it's dangerous. If not dealt with, then it can swiftly turn into a feeling of being betrayed and misled by people or circumstances. And eventually, if we're not careful, we become disappointed in God, God the Father. What are you talking about? How many of you have ever had someone that you love that had an incurable disease based upon the health fields determination, cancer that couldn't be cured or any type of disease. And so we've been taught that we have hope that by his stripes we are healed. I quote it all the time. I believe it whether I have symptoms or I don't have symptoms. My confession is the same. By his stripes I am healed, but then why am I sick? Why is this one dying of diabetes and this one dying of a tumor? 
I've put my hope and my trust and my expectation for a physical healing. Am I talking to anybody where life really just the rubber meets the road and you've been disappointed and then we wallow in that disappointment. We can't get over that disappointment and we begin to then even believe that God has deceived us. If not dealt with, these thoughts that are entertained very long, it will trigger depression, discouragement, and it will lead to despondency. Now, despondency goes beyond depression. I know people are discouraged. They look at stock markets, their bank accounts, circumstances, situations, they they get discouraged. But then the self-talk then leads them into depression, that discouragement, depression, and I believe it's real. I know there's emotional situations. I'm not downplaying or degrading any of that, but I'm telling the you and I as believers, we have a living hope that we should not be wallowing in that. We should not be rehearsing it. We should be, not be uh, nursing it. We shouldn't even be, uh, we should curse it because the curse is already hung on the tree. It's been dealt with. But we believe God, he'll reverse it. But then it doesn't happen the way we expect it to happen. And so then it becomes despondency to the place that people are suicidal because of certain things that didn't go the way that they expected them to go. I mean, I think this is just real life trying to tell you you've got hope. You have a living hope. God is working through your disappointment, shifting all of your setbacks in order to make them a comeback. Basically, disappointments come when we are expecting uh, a certain outcome or someone to respond to us in a certain way. But we have to remember, number one, God loves you. Even when things don't go your way, Burger King doesn't have it right, you can have it your way. Sometimes it doesn't go your way. But God still loves you with an unending love, an unwavering desire for a great and perfect outcome for you. The second thing leads right into that. You have to believe for the best results from Him. He has your best intentions at heart. He knows better the way that it should go than I know. And thirdly, you've got to remember who you are. Who are you? You're blessed and highly favored. You're a child. You're a son. You're a daughter. He's not going to... This mindset that if God wants to teach you how to stay out of traffic, that he's going to push you out in front of a truck to teach you how to stay out of traffic. Uh, That's that's not the father that I, I know. Jesus is our refuge in times of disappointment. Why? Disappointments are temporary, but he is eternal. So he is our refuge in times of hope. God, the Father, the originator of hope, creates hope inside of us, and then it radiates to the outside of us. So keep hoping when all hope seems lost. It's kind of like Journey said, keep on believing, don't stop believing. Just keep on hoping, don't stop hoping. Matter of fact, let's declare it right now. Let's say it out loud. Say this with me. I have a living hope. His name is Jesus. Turn to your neighbor and say, I have a living hope. His name is Jesus. Amen. Hope deferred, Proverbs 13 verse 12 says, makes a heart sick. 
So if we continue to sing songs and preach doctrine that puts our hope in a future, listen, it really is putting more hope in our death. Because at our death, we get things that we won't get until we die. But listen, our hope is in a death, but it was his death that already occurred, and his death was my death. And if his death was my death, then his resurrection was my resurrection. And as 1 Peter 1.3 says, because he was risen from the dead, you have a living hope. But when the desire comes, and he came, it is a tree of life. And as we eat from the tree of life, matter of fact, you are a tree of life whose leaves are healing to the nations. There's that hope that radiates and bounces out to others, and when it touches them, it brings healing to the nations. All right, let's look at a few things real quick. The hope that he has filled us with brings no disappointment. Romans 5.5 says, Now hope does not disappoint. Did you hear that? What did we say? Our hope was, His name is Jesus. It's not deferred. It's a living hope right now. And hope doesn't disappoint because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit whom He has given us. He made a deposit and guarantee of His love and his hope for you when you received the Holy Spirit when you believed. Romans 10.11 says, The scriptures tell us that no one who believes in Christ will ever be disappointed. Another word there for believe in one translation, the Living Bible says anyone who places their hope in Christ will not be disappointed. Isaiah 49, which is referred to as a fifth gospel by most scholars especially after chapter 40, all the way to chapter 66. It's a fifth gospel. And in Isaiah 49, 13, he says, those who place their hope in him will not be disappointed. The hope that he has filled us with is a hope that will not disappoint. Why are we disappointed? I found out in my life when I've been disappointed, it's because I've put hope in things that I trusted in. I wanted things to go a certain way. Now, I do believe that God wants us to enjoy life, and he does give us the desires of our heart. But there are some things that just we have trusted in more so than we've put our hope in him, and when they don't go our way, it's not God's fault. It's what I chose to do. And so I become disappointed. But every time, without fail, when I've placed my hope in Him, He's never disappointed me. Can anyone agree to that and say that's the same thing in their life? Now, I'm not saying that it went my way, that I got exactly what I wanted, but I got what I needed because His hope doesn't disappoint. His hope, hope in Him, is a strong anchor. I really want to spend a second here, so travel with me to Hebrews, the sixth chapter, as we lay something out to see that his hope is a strong anchor. Hebrews, the sixth chapter, verses 18 through 20. I understand there's problems with the screens today. That's why it's good to bring one of these or a smart device with you to look at the scripture or write you some notes down so you can review these scriptures later. Technology is wonderful when it works. 
chapter 6 of Hebrews. So, that by two unchangeable things, I'm reading in the Amplified, by two unchangeable things, let's stop right there. There are two things that are unchangeable, according to Paul writing here to the Hebrews. If you have the Amplified, he will tell you what those two things are in parentheses right beside that. The two unchangeable things that he speaks of here are his promises and his oath. If you read through Hebrews, you will find out that God swore an oath to himself. He took me and you out of the equation. See, in the old covenant, it was an equation that included man. In other words, the oath was, I swear to you, Gary, that if you'll do these things, this is what I'll do for you. But if you don't do those things, Gary, these are the things that I'm going to have to do to you. And because you've missed the mark in that, I am gracious and I am merciful. And even in the old covenant, here's a way of escape through the blood of sacrifice of an animal. But then he jumps into a brand new covenant. One of my friends from Parisburg, Virginia, Dave Bracken, texted me this morning and he said, it's a new covenant. And I said, yes, sir. He said, he's just getting some of this. It's coming to him as a fresh knowledge. He said, it's not an addendment to the old. It's not a refurbishment. It's a brand new covenant. I said, that's right. Amen. Because, Hebrews says, if the first one was good enough, there had been no need for a second one. But God took you and me out of the equation, and it says he swore an oath to himself, and one of the things that cannot be changed is that oath. You can't break it because you're not a part of it, and God is not a man that he should lie. So his promises that are yes and amen in Christ can't be changed. What he promised to you, you can put your hope and faith in that. It will come to pass. And his oath, I will do this, I will do this, I will do this. It doesn't say if you, then I. It says I. And he says I will. I will. It is impossible for God to lie. We who have fled to him for refuge would have strong encouragement and an indwelling strength to hold tightly to hope that is set before us. You see that? Verse 19, this hope, hope in the promises of God that don't change and the oath that he made with himself, this confident assurance we have as an anchor for our soul. Let me stop right there. Underline or circle that word soul. So this hope that Paul's talking about here, this confident assurance in the promises of God and the oath that he made with himself about you, and they can't change because God's not a man that he should lie. It gives us strong encouragement. It gives us indwelling strength. And then we have this anchor for our soul. That is for our mind, our will, and our emotions. When you believed your spirit man took on the position of being completely whole, completely saved, completely whole, well, and healed. Just It can't get any better, and it won't get any worse. It's a confident assurance. Your spirit, man, when you believed, was made perfect. What do we deal with? The soul. Our mind believing what is true about our spirit. Our will and our desires matching up in our behavior to what our spirit man already is. And then our emotions based upon the mistakes that we make because our soul isn't in line with our spirit man yet. Do you see where the battle is? It's the soul. 
But he, Paul tells us that we have a confident assurance, a hope in him. And I like what the Amplified says here. It cannot slip and it cannot break down under whatever pressure that bears upon it. Man, that's something to take to the bank with you. It's a confident assurance that no matter what weight bears upon it, whatever pressure is put upon it, it cannot slip and it will not break down. It's safe and it's steadfast, consistent hope that enters within the veil of the heavenly temple, the most holy place, in which the very presence of God dwells. So there is a connection with my soul, my spirit man, and God who dwells in the heavenly, who's placed His spirit within me, and there's communication between heaven and earth constantly going on that we should have a steadfast and sure hope in. Why? Because Jesus has already entered in there in advance and placed His blood on the mercy seat to show us that we have a high priest after the order of Melchizedek. Why after that order? Because it's not after the Levitical priesthood because that was Old Covenant and they failed. When the veil split in two, when Jesus was on the cross, it was exposed that for years behind the veil there was not even an Ark of the Covenant because it had been missing since the time of Jeremiah. You ever seen Indiana Jones? Raiders of the Lost Ark. But Jeremiah, they, it tells us that the, temp, the Ark had disappeared but they were still performing religious duties. But Jesus went to that heavenly temple. He went beyond the veil in advance and He placed His blood on the mercy seat to give us a sure and steadfast anchor for our souls. That's something to shout about. In other words, Jesus is our hope. Frank, if you'd come. And if Jesus is our hope, then we have hope to cope. A lot of people aren't able to cope with life. There's a lot of mechanisms that they're trying to use and it doesn't allow them to cope with the stresses of life. But when Jesus is our hope, He's a strong anchor. He will not disappoint. Then we have hope to cope because we are in this world and not of it and we will face battles, trials, circumstances, situations, offenses. There's all types of things that are going on, but we have hope to cope. Let me give you four quick things that you can write down for this Christmas season so that you won't experience the letdown of Christmas, but that you can apply to life. Number one, you've got to adjust your expectations. If your expectation is here, but the Holy Spirit is saying, oh, I want you to have a realistic expectation. We need to adjust. See, because you have an indwelling Holy Spirit that's guiding you, leading you, and if you surrender to that and you will put your hope in Him, you adjust your expectations, you will not be disappointed. Number two, you've got to learn to deal with your emotions. I'm going to probably embarrass Matthew, but it's a true example that when he went through some things in life, I'll just give you a very, for an example. We traveled to Oklahoma every other year to see West Virginia play against Oklahoma State. He usually goes with me. A few years back when he was about 17, he was throwing a fit because the Mountaineers were getting beat. His expectation was not realistic. 
he had placed his hope in the, the, the mountaineers. But his emotional response to that, so we had a discussion about how maturity comes when you can respond to dif- emotionally to disappointment differently than you used to. When a two-year-old gets disappointed, there will be a certain reaction. Temper tantrum, crying, kicking their feet, different things. But if a 17-year-old is still doing what a two-year-old would do, that there's no maturity. So we've got to learn to deal with our emotions and become mature in our emotional responses. One of the ways that we can do that is we have to wait for healing to come in our emotions before we make other emotional decisions. That's why there needs to be a little bit of uh, counseling. I'm dealing with an individual right now that no matter where they end up, the situation is exactly the same because the problem is not where they are. The problem is what they think. And until that thinking is changed and you deal with the hurts and the emotions of the past and being disappointed, you'll continue to make poor choices that will affect you emotionally. Don't jump, ship, and quit just because you've been disappointed. Stay the course. Don't don't allow disappointment to dictate your self-worth. I love the song that you sang this morning. Who defines us? Our Father defines us. But as long as you want to use circumstances, hurts, wounds, disappointments to define you, you will be emotionally unstable. Remember you're not alone. What you are feeling during disappointment or setback is not what you will always feel. Number three, stop the blame game. Especially blaming God. It's a common method with coping with pain of disappointment. We want to place the blame. The finger pointing has to stop. You can't keep saying at 65 that what happened to you at 9 is going to dictate to you well it's because they did this. Well get over or get through it. I'm going to tell you to get over it. Get through that with the help of the Holy Spirit. Place your hope in Him. You won't be disappointed and the game, the blame game will stop and you can move on to maturity and better things and brighter futures. And lastly, retrain yourself to rejoice when you're disappointed because you're still favored. I am a follower of Christ and therefore He will never disappoint me. You may, the world will, the stock market will, our government will, but He will never disappoint. As you stand to your feet this morning, Remember, Jesus is Lord over every hopeless situation. And of His fullness, we have all received a living hope. Hope was birthed on that first Christmas over 2,000 years ago. And it was given to the Jews first I mean that's exactly what the scripture says but they missed their time of visitation and he has included all in the hope that was born and he's placed that living hope within us 
If you'd bow your heads for just a moment and continue to allow the Holy Spirit to speak to you, I believe he will use me in the next few minutes to speak some hope into your life because some of of you, I know the situations that you're facing. Most of you, I don't know what's going on, but he does. And he wants me to remind you that he is a strong anchor even in the times like you are facing. What I want to encourage you with this morning is don't stay in that feeling of disappointment because it will trigger, if you stay in it long enough, it will trigger discouragement that will lead to depression and many even will become despondent. So right now, Father, in Jesus' name, we rebuke this despondency. We uh, speak hope and life into every dead situation. You are the resurrection and you are the life. Even in hopeless situations. There are some here today that may be in a situation where you feel there is no hope for your marriage. And you've come this morning and the Holy Spirit is dealing with you that there still is hope. He wants to give you some instructions. He wants to help you. Pull you out of this so that together you can experience the abundant life that He has promised. Some of you are discouraged over your health situation. This morning, we speak the hope of Christ into that situation right now. And we will continue to declare and decree that by His stripes you are whole, well, and healed. I don't know what that looks like. I don't know how that's going to happen. I don't know when that's going to happen. But I believe and I place my faith and trust in agreement with yours today that by his stripes you are whole, well, and healed. If that's for you, would you just lift your hands to begin to receive that healing touch this morning in your bodies?